Warning, this podcast was produced by two men who still think that swearing is both big and clever. As a result, it contains quite a lot of it. Therefore, this podcast is not suitable for children, unless they're really fucking cool children. Yes, people, Dave Fensom here with Pop Collaborate and Listen. Uh, this week, it's a Nirvana special. We're talking about the album Nevermind, not a number one, so it's a bonus episode. Um, hope you enjoy it. I'll be honest with you, we ended up geeking out quite a lot over this record. We're probably not as uh, critical as we often are, I guess, um, but it was all from a genuine place. Uh, if you think we gave this album far too an easier ride or any other opinions, do get in contact and let us know. Um, Chris also wants to apologise. He had a pretty bad cold when we were making this one, and you can hear it. So if you don't like the sounds of a snotty Irishman, and uh, let's face it, who fucking does? This may not be your favourite episode of all time, but fuck it, man. We had a lovely time recording this one. I hope that you enjoy it as much as we did. What's been going on in my world? Uh, no one asks, but I tell you every week, because it's my fucking podcast. Well, basically, I've just been sat uh, for an hour waiting for a tyre company to come and change the tyre on my car, because uh had a flat tyre. It's my wife's car. There was no spare tyre in it, because she hadn't checked that. Um, yeah, overjoyed, basically. 140 quid later really really happy to be alive um obviously as always running uh, on the edge comedy next one is on the 6th of december fantastic headliner mr patrick spicer it's going to be a really really good show six pounds tickets on sale from we got tickets or skittle google those uh, or hit me up on twitter if you need any further details with no further ado we're going to crack on with this podcast i hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoyed making it take it easy <laughs> people uh dave fenson here with another episode of pop collaborate and listen as always i'm joined by waffles the dog and my very very good friend mr krista greer hey everybody uh so here we are with another special episode uh this one was not a number one album but there was literally no way we could ignore this album krista greer what we're talking about Uh, it's nirvana's nevermind and we mentioned this briefly in our brian adams podcast last week Brian adams because it was released the same week it was released on the 24th of september 1991 but as you said, it never got to number one. So no. it was not going to be on our uh, list of things that we have to do. But yeah, we have to do it. And let's face facts, you know, this, just because it didn't get to number one doesn't mean it didn't sell a shitload of copies. My God. My God did it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, I'm sure of anyone who listens to this podcast will have guessed this was a big album for both of us. Oh, my at the God. Time. So, uh, you know, in terms of the impact it had on us, the impact it had on the world, the impact it had on, on music in general in the 90s, I think it's an important enough one that we do dedicate a, a little while and go through Nevermind. Absolutely. And, you know, the opportunity for us to sit down and uh, and talk about this one and, uh, you know, what I'm going to try and do is be, you know, feel the same way about it as you felt about Guns N' Roses. <laughs> uh, not, not, not possible, my friend. Uh, it's not. You, you so, can't. So, obviously, this, this album comes out in 1991. Yeah. Um, 
where where do we get to in the charts when it released? Can we remember? Uh, it got to number seven. Was it peak in the charts? But yeah. it, it, no, it, no. But I mean, on release. On release. On the week of release, it went in at I think it was thirty six. Yeah. So this is an album with no expectations. Probably from the label, or you know, I mean, I mean, there's there's some expectations. For some, them. They wouldn't but, have signed them, but see, oh, no, definitely some expectations, but nothing uh, compared to what it actually did. They were they were very surprised how yeah. it took off. Their previous album had been a you know a kind of a modest underground hit. Yep. Uh, you know, it was part of the rise of what was going on with the sub pop label. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, previous album was called Bleach. For anyone that doesn't know, and yeah, there, there was some buzz about this band. Completely, as far as I'm concerned, at that time, I was completely oblivious to it. I, Same as yeah. yeah, I'd not. So you you were not you were not listening to Bleach and then got no, into Nevermind. Not at all. No, 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 no. Nevermind was the first thing I heard from. Sure. But, um, I had friends who were immediately saying. You you know you need to check this out, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it, it, that wasn't until you know it was it was basically upon us. So how close to release would you have had this album? Do you think? Oh, um, uh, I think I got the album maybe two or three weeks after it was released. Okay, so you were ahead of the curve for me. I mean, I don't think right. I got this album until maybe as I left school, basically. Mm-hmm. So that would have been about the following May, I think. Gotcha, okay. So, I mean, I, yeah. this was the album, I had this, and it, I hammered it all of that summer holiday before I got to yeah. Sixth Form College, basically, finished school. So, and that, that, this was one of the, you know, that and Guns N' Roses were basically the albums that I was listening to across that, that summer. summer. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right, okay. Um, all right, so, uh, obviously, in many ways, this is, if you're our age, if you're in that kind of Gen X, mm-hmm. this is kind of... Uh, you know, one of the most iconic albums of that generation. Oh, it, it is. I mean, it's decade defining. Yeah. Of the so it's of its time. It's genre defining because mm-hmm. if you say to anyone, either if they are into what is termed grunge or alternative music or whatever, yeah. you know, name me a grunge album. Never mind. You know, you go on fucking Family Fortunes. Yeah. Top answer. And you know, I think maybe one of the things that's kind of been forgotten as well. Is for such an unusual record, for such an uh, an abrasive record, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll talk about the qualities of that as well. It wasn't just metalers and grungers that were into this record. Mm-hmm. Everyone had this record, absolutely. You know, all absolutely. the you know, kind of all the kind of you know, the sports kids. Are like, oh, you know, I like a yeah, oh, I like a bit of a Nirvana. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. something you would hear from everyone. They are, you know, it crossed over in such an enormous way. Sure, and you know exactly there were. I'm trying to remember, you know, in my sixth form, there were people who were just into the chart pop stuff. Uh, they, they were into things like Rosala and mm-hmm. Oceanic and that kind of, you know, whatever was going on top ten wise. But they also had Nevermind. Of course they did. Yeah, yeah. and that's and that's huge. That's, the, the, the impact of this was, and you know, the, the cultural impact uh, was enormous. Uh, you know. Yeah. Up until the point this album came, of course, you know, obviously the last three records we've been listening to is that big stadium rock sound. That's yeah. what was riding high, you know, and it was, you know, it was seen as bulletproof at that time. And yeah. really within a year of this record being out, it pretty much killed that genre stone cold dead. For a start, a lot of that was then seen as, you know, facile or dated mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that's your dad's music. But, and for that reason, record labels were also not investing anymore. Absolutely. They were investing in something very different because yeah. they saw the way the market was going. And so all the new bands coming through were these young, exciting, you know, alternative-led yeah. 
bands and stuff like Brian Adams and Cher, etc., weren't getting any sort of the, no. the 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 push that they were before. The interesting thing about Nirvana doing the numbers that it did is it absolutely blew the A and R men's minds. Because mm. obviously, this is still a time when you're making an insane amount of money off of records. This is pre this is oh, pre downloads. This is where millions and millions. Yeah, this of is, times. And so, what happened is because. The execs didn't really understand why Nirvana had solved. They just went into a feeding frenzy and they signed anyone and everyone. So, like, you would not... I I don't believe you would have some of those records being released and some of the artists being... You know, a band like Tool, for example. Uh I don't believe that Tool would have been signed... Uh, without Nirvana. To a major. Yeah, to a major. Sure. So many of the bands that came out, not only would they have been signed, but would they have been given the freedom to put the record out? Because people were Mm. like, okay, let's see what these guys come up with, and fuck it, maybe the kids will like this shit too. Yeah. And so, you know, what this did usher forth was like a really amazing period of underground music hitting the mainstream, and records that really should not have been made with the budget that they should yeah. get him in. And loads of those artists got dropped after one or two and some of them disappeared and some of them carried on doing amazing things, right? But it certainly made one hell of a breeding ground to be a like 18-year-old oh, in. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. And this, for me, having been very just kind of indie-orientated previous to this, what I was listening to was stuff like The Charlottes, Populate Itself, yeah. Happy Mondays, whatever, that sort of stuff. And loving it and be very, very happy. Yeah. But... I was entirely against stuff like Guns N' Roses, as I've said. I yeah. didn't like that metal side of things. Metallica didn't like it. When Nirvana came through, it was the most, and you know, in quotation marks, metal thing that I liked because I instantly loved it. Yeah. And it was an entire, you know, new uh, playground for me where I went, oh, fucking hell. Here's here's now a ton of new stuff that I can now see maybe there is something to be enjoyed. And it was a fucking new horizon. And it's the interesting thing as well, because the sheer, I mean, the, the amount of music publications that would cover Nirvana, yeah. you know, it went everywhere from, you know, you, you could read it in, you know, the places you would expect, you know, your kind of Kerrangs and your metal you know, hammer. Metal hammer. Yeah. Uh, but also, obviously, your enemies and your melody makers were banged behind them. Your select Absolutely. magazines, The Wire. Do you know what I mean? All of those, uh, yeah. you know, all of those magazines, the, you know, they were all covering it, you know. I bet you Smash Hits and stuff were doing yeah, it. Yeah, well. you'd have got a mention in Smash Hits. I mean, they were poster boys. They were, you know, for, they weren't just for, you know, us at 16, 17. Yeah. They were fucking, there was 13, 14 year olds into it as well. Yeah, I mean, literally, I mean, outside of like Hip Hop Connection and DJ Magazine, you were probably getting mentions everywhere. Yeah. Uh, Just in terms of how big it was, a couple of stats on this, right? Uh, So it was released in September 1991. Like I say, it only went to about, I think it was 36 or 37 in the UK charts on release. It peaked at number seven, but that wasn't until February. So that was, you know, uh, if you look at its, if you charted its path, it's, in and it actually went down the next week to like 40 something or 50 something yeah and then went up after christmas because the smells like teen spirit single was getting so much traction yeah mtv etc uh and then it's hovering it's hovering in the 10s and 20s for about two years yeah you know absolutely. it's just constantly there afterwards mm-hmm. but it never got higher than seven in the uk okay it event it ended up selling over 30 million copies across the world yeah which makes puts it in the brackets of the one of the best selling albums of all time mm-hmm. so it is huge in terms of that but it did like you said it took the label by complete surprise absolutely the bleach had been a very well respected uh hit you know very well critiqued 
very well reviewed and fans loved it. Yeah. Which is obviously then why Geffen signed them. But they had no idea that such a, a huge leap would take place. And so whenever they started yeah, pressing it up, they only pressed up 46,000 copies for the US. Right. And the UK actually got 35,000 copies because Bleach had been a bigger hit in the UK. So that's not a big first shipment for for a band you're thinking, maybe this is the big one. And they did a a bulk of the US ones to the Northwest where they were big already Mm -hmm. and it sold out pretty much instantly. And Geffen had to put production of other albums on hold to fulfil the orders that were coming through from the record shops because it was such a groundswell. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the other thing that Geffen did was they, you know, they had a couple of really big high-profile sign-ins that had just been signed to big money mm. and their records never saw the light of day in, in, the, in the back of this. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, you know, there are, there are bands that literally had their careers destroyed by Nirvana. And well, that's, I mean, were they on the cheesy rock side of things, you mean, like that? Yeah. Yeah? You kind of understand why there's a level of antipathy Mm. or, you know, actual hatred from certain people that live within that scene. Because, you know, and I get it. It's like, you know, we had this thing, we'd worked towards this thing, we'd got to the point when it was our time, and then all of a sudden, the fucking rules changed. The complete landscape changed. And like our our mate Chris has got no time at all for Nirvana. Fucking hates them. And (laughs) and it's because it it destroyed the world that he operated in, you know? And and obviously all of that That stuff kind of, that all kind of changes. And now that, you know, know, that, that stuff had a resurgence and all of those things. You know, I I still, you know, I still love, I still love my classic rock and and things like that. Mm -hmm. But at that time and at that moment, it felt like, yeah, this is the thing. This is the new thing. Yeah, Yeah, well, this is the future. They were the future. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The classic rock stuff was absolutely, oh, that is now old music. Mm-hmm. That's had its time. This is the future. Yeah. It, it was. It felt like that. And if you did, you know, I didn't have MTV at the time, but uh, I went to the States a couple of times in 93, 94 and was able to see it there. All they were playing was alternative rock. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. So anyway, look, as we always do, we start with the uh, the album cover. Yep. I've brought my, my vinyl copy with me. When you're talking about iconic album covers, I mean, it, the, I that's mean, one of the big ones, really. Yeah. You know, the, the colours of it, the, the the way the kind of the blue melds down to the thing, but yep. then you've got the, you know, the baby. I mean, no, I don't need to explain what this fucking album cover Everyone's looks like. This. You know, I mean, I, I remember vaguely at the time there was some, there was a couple of like things about, oh, is it anti-Semitic? Oh, really? Yeah, because obviously because it's circumcised the, baby. circumcised baby, but that kind of is ruled out. By and the it's fact, chasing money. Yeah. Oh, I see. But then it's like, oh, but every child in America yeah, is circumcised, exactly. so it's yeah. fucking. And I, I, I certainly don't believe that there was anything like that in it at all. But oh, no. just like fucking a, <laughs> a, a baby being trained to chase money or trying to catch a baby with money, it's just such a good album cover. Oh, it's brilliant! It's absolutely brilliant. Um, I remember at the time thinking, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" because it was. I don't think it was designed to be offensive, mm-hmm. but it is provocative, and you know, it's the sort of thing that makes people like Tipper Gore clutch their pearls and go, "Oh, that's that's so rude." The subject of that quite interesting. There's no uh, advisory lyric sticker on this. Well, there's only like one or two curse words in it. That is true. Yeah, you know, it's not a profane record no. in that way. I mean, I would I would say uh, it's the first album cover we've had with a cock on it, but we did Brian Adams last week. <laughs> hey. <laughs> And <laughs> hey. uh, um, the, the, the baby on the cover is a guy called Spencer Eldon, and every so often he'll get interviewed about. Oh, it's been twenty five years since Nevermind came yeah. out. You're the baby, and he, he, you know, he's he's very happy. I think to be the guy. I mean, he's uh, more people have seen his penis than Ron Jeremy's. <laughs> That's 
probably true. Um, uh, it turns out apparently Geffen did prepare uh, an alternate cover that didn't have the penis on it. Right. Um, because they were afraid it would offend people and not get stocked in, you know, Walmart and all the, yeah. the usual stuff from the early 90s. Um, but Kurt Cobain said that the only compromise he would accept was that if the sticker that they put to cover up the penis said, if you're offended by this, you must be a closet paedophile. And, Perfect. And so uh, Geffen went, all right, we'll just leave it. <laughs> there you go. And that's, yeah. and that's absolutely... I have this weird thing recently, actually, and this is a, this is a complete side note, but I'm part mm. of quite a few uh, corgi groups on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Because why fucking wouldn't yeah, I be? Yeah, of course right? you are. But there's this weird thing where people are putting the pictures of their dogs up, right? And corgis sleep on their back quite often, right? All right. And people are, like, fucking putting, a, like, a little black marker over their the dog's dick it's like, hey. oh really blurring out so what the fuck are you on about <laughs> it's like how do you handle this in in public you just like carry a little balloon around oh fucking weirdos <laughs> if you're handling your dog's cock in public you're doing something wrong I'll tell you what mate it makes the wanks I go on those sites for much more difficult <laughs> it's like the Japanese ones you're like oh come, just show me come yeah. on <clears throat> we all know it's there exactly and I, look man I, I would say I would say that this is one of the best album covers of all time. It's so well known that if you are in a pub quiz and it's on, you've got a round which is on classic album covers that you have to name and you've got things like Led Zeppelin yeah. and, you know, Dark Side of the Moon, you also have Nevermind. Of course It's that big a fucking yeah. album. Yeah, it's one of, yeah, anyway. So Brilliant. enough on that. Let's sure. let's get cracking into the first track. Yes, indeed, right. Well, the first one. Little known single, this one. instantly yeah. in I so fucking straight into this tune I was I felt hard for this song oh man this is that thing right we, you know this song obviously has been played to death indeed and we talked about that over the last couple of episodes we talked about uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door we talked about yeah. uh, uh, everything Enter Sandman right? Enter Sandman right but I've heard this song so many times but it still gets me yeah. Still gets me. Yeah. Oh, you can't fault it. You can say, I've heard this too often, yep. but you cannot fault this song. I know. Mean, it's perfect. And I'm, you know, I'm still trying to put myself back. I mean, when I first heard this, I was like, you know, what is this? Right. What, what is this? Because it's so abrasive and mm. it's like, there's anger in there, but then there's sarcasm and a sense of humour in there. Uh-huh. Like, particularly if you, you know, you see it in line of the video and you're like, okay, I don't have quite the frame of reference for this at the moment. Right. You know, I was like, okay, well, this is... not, you know, you coming from England and not, yeah. not knowing what an American high school is like. And all that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, not even that so much, because those images are more familiar, but more just right. the kind of the attitude that's coming out of it. Because obviously I've not been exposed to a huge amount of the underground kind of punk music. Right. Uh, that like late 80s alternative scene that's inspired so much of this. Uh, so, you know, I'm coming into this from, you know, like just stone cold, like fucking hell. Oh. You know, I, I know Guns N' Roses. That's what I know rock music is. And now there's this. And, you know, it's got, you know, the the lyrics are, you know, kind of oblique, but they're kind of darkly poetic. You know he means something, but you're not sure 100% what it is. Definitely agree with that. I didn't understand what the lyrics meant, but I was very happy that I kind of could make most of them out and sing along to them at the top of my voice. You know, the, the moment I hear that, 
not always because it's become so, uh, you know, I guess so, such a commonplace thing for me to hear this song. But thinking about it properly this time, as I have been, yeah, you know, just thinking about, as soon as that chorus comes back in, I'm just back in like a sweaty nightclub sure. fighting for my fucking life. Oh, yeah, it went off when it's Mate, came on. I mean, like that's what people the most violent pits I've ever been in my life have not been at concerts. They've been in <laughs> early 90s clubs because right. people used to kick the shit out of each yeah, other. And, you know, but it would always help you up. And But uh, it was it was the place where people went to let off all that energy. I mean, my friend Grant has got a scar on his eye from, like, the, the first time a Nirvana song was played at wow. a club because it went off that hard. You know, I saw, you know, people lose teeth and all kinds of <laughs> shit, man. Honestly, it would, it went Mate, off. That's brilliant. And that feeling of just being 17 uh, and just how alive and how in the moment mm. that felt it was like this is you know it it felt like this was ours in a way that nothing else did really absolutely true like i say i fell very hard for this song and i did feel like me and my mates who were into this there was a, a gang that we were in yeah yeah definitely i mean you know and then you know you've got that kind of really dissonant solo that comes in uh, that just where it's like okay you're not you're not kind of trying to impress me with how many notes you can play you're not going up through the sky this isn't yeah. supposed to be pretty this is just supposed to be ugly in the middle of this song yeah um you know like i say that the sarcasm in there that quiet loud dynamic as well which you know they do brilliantly it's almost a cliche yeah. you know well, at this point in time but yeah it, it was so much fucking fun back then and then it was, you know it's just that kind of drops down to that dooding that simple kind of two note strum yeah. and it's just it's so simple everything about this song is simple and that, that was another thing that i really enjoyed about nirvana in general uh, I, you know when this came out I was in, I wouldn't call it a band, right. but I would call it three people in a room playing instruments. Sure. Um, we never gigged about this particular one mm -hmm. I'm talking about. And we did covers of, you know, a Sonic Youth song and this yeah. sort of stuff. And we covered this without a singer. Mm -hmm. But one thing I loved about it is that even though it sounds so good and it made me so happy, it's not a difficult song. It's not someone no. showing off. Even, you know, uh, Dave Grohl, who is an amazing drummer and can do amazing things, yeah. He's, for the most part, keeping it so simple all the way through this. And me being a drummer, I was like, fuck, I could do that. Mm -hmm. I can play this song. I can play this amazing song. Mm -hmm. And it sounds obviously not good. But to me, it sounded fucking brilliant. And this is the thing, you know. I mean, look, this song is so simple from a point of view of musicianship. Yeah. But I was almost overwhelmed by it when I first heard it because it was just so much... Mm -hmm. to listen to in terms of the tones in terms of the vocals in terms of just what things were doing like, and like I think that's the beauty of this song that it's almost slight of hands you away from how much of just an undeniable pop standard this is sure because this is a hundred percent a pop song it, obviously yes it is uh, but that at was core is what I'm saying. Yeah, at its core, totally. And I think that is one of Cobain's biggest gifts is that he just wrote really fucking great songs. Yeah. Um, and he didn't try and make them. You know, he, he didn't put loads of solos in. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to go look at me, look at me. He didn't. In fact, he didn't want people looking at him. Uh, but especially on this album, when he was writing without the pressure of the world on him. Yeah. He wrote a fucking album full of brilliant catchy tunes yeah 
Yeah. I, I, I think the in, the interesting thing about that though is it's you know, and it's one of the things that was interesting about Kirk May. It's that juxtaposition, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. like his heart was very much in the underground. That's what he loved. That's where he found himself. Yeah. He thought of himself as you know, as an independent thinker, as an outsider, and he found his people within this thing that, by its very very nature, needed to be away from sight. Uh-huh. Uh, and but his talent as a songwriter uh, inevitably bought it above ground. Yeah. And it gave it to everyone. So a massive spotlight on it. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of destroyed the thing that he loved the most. And, you know, I I don't know whether he ever came to terms with that. No. And I think in the the follow-up album, he dealt with some of that and tried to make it, you know, more unlistenable in quotation marks than Nevermind. And he has been known in interviews to say that he thinks Nevermind is too polished. Yeah. And in the mix and in the production, it's, it's a bit too clean sometimes. Sure. But... Guess what, mate? Yeah. Those are just genius, clear tunes that you've written. Yeah. And even if you tried to fuck them up, they'd still be brilliant tunes. And let's not fuck around. When I first heard this record, I was like, what is this? It was so dissonant and so weird. It's Mm. it's difficult to hear that now because I've listened to some really fucked up stuff over the years. Of course, yeah. But listening to how, how deliberately ugly some of this stuff was made. Yeah. You know, it, it really was, you know, the, the thing I always thought of at the time was, you know, that scene in the Tim Burton Batman film right. where the Joker disfigures Jerry Hall. Oh, yeah. I wanted to make something beautiful. Right, yeah, I mean, yeah. That kind of thing. I always kind of thought of that because in a way, it's like he's almost fighting against his, his instincts. Oh, it's like his, his, his musical instincts are different to his lyrical instincts, for example, because his lyrics are all, you know, there's not a straightforward lyric on this album. Sure, yeah. You know, there's, there's all, you know, you, no, even the most straightforward song, you've got to dig through a level of depth there's something to get else to. Up, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, the, and, and again, you know, he's, he's kind of tried to, you know, kind of put the filter on these tunes, but a great song is a great song and that's exactly. what he fucking wrote. Exactly. And, you know, it's a very you know, famous quote he has always said by uh, Teen Spirit that he was trying to write a Pixies song because yeah. he loved the Pixies. He loved the fact that they wrote fantastically catchy brilliant mm-hmm. songs but had uh, you know Black Francis screaming over it and some really scratchy guitars and this sort of stuff he was trying to emulate that which I think he has done brilliantly mm-hmm. you know this could be a Pixie song in a different universe but if you took the production off it you've got a sheer brilliant pop song absolutely yeah man absolutely absolutely Although when people have tried to do more straightforward pop song versions of it, it's fucking awful. Oh, and there, I, I looked up some of the uh, the cover versions on this, and I mean, first of all, I don't know why you'd want to. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some that you're like, oh, right, well, we're, whatever we do, it's mm-hmm. not going to be as good as this. Yeah, I'll tell you who did a fucking brilliant version though. Weird Al Yankovic. Smells oh, like Nirvana. That's so like brilliant. Nirvana. Oh my God. That's Boggle what... Woggle. <laughs> <laughs> the video for Smells Like Nirvana is fucking glorious. It's amazing. If, uh, if you're listening to this and you've never seen Weird Al Yankovic uh, smell like Nirvana, just YouTube oh, just it. Go it's for it. fucking wonderful. He, he has said apparently, apparently Kurt contacted him mm-hmm. after Smells Like Nirvana came out and he went, now I know we've made it. We've had a Weird Al parody. Nice. That, that's the, the level you need to get to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, other people who have covered it though, the Muppets did a version. Well, I'll let the Muppets off. Oh, totally fine. Um, it was sampled in, the, like we said, the Credit to the Nation, yeah. which was always very amusing when that got played in the Call indie Call it clubs. what you want. Call it what you want. Um, there's a version called Smells Like Teen Pussy by Bloody Vomit Bukaki. Nice. Yes, of course there is. Of course there is. Um, but this one, right. Let's see if you can guess who this is. 
Whenever I saw these guys had done it, I was like, oh, okay. Is it like the flying pickets? It is the flying pickets, the mate. fucking flying, flying pickets. pickets. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> ah, the flying pickets doing a, a lovely a cappella version there. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder he killed himself. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, but yeah, this one, and again, what a fucking opener for the album. You know, this is the ideal first song on an album absolutely kicks you in the face you know what you're getting uh just sheer perfection yeah yeah i mean the only problem is how do you follow it which brings us on should we go on to number two then yeah let's do that one which is called in bloom that tone man so good and again coming from a drummer point of view that little bit the love it so much I mean, the thing with this record, for me as well, I mean, you I mean, you, you can tell that Bit, Butch Vig, who produced this record, is a drummer. Right. Because the drums sound oh, amazing. They are this. sweet. They are so good. I mean, obviously, that, that bass sound as well. Yeah. Brilliant. So, you know, I mean, lyrically, I mean, this song's about rednecks, basically, isn't it? Uh-huh. It's about, yeah, it's about uh, arseholes... Uh, that don't really get things, that see things on a surface value, and aren't given any real kind of thought, thought to yeah. what they are. Yeah, it's, you know, like it, you know, I, I guess you know, people that come to the the shows, the kind of fucking macho guys and all that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it sounds like because obviously this was written before Nevermind blew up. Yeah. Um. So it was just after the bleach thing had happened. So it wasn't even like he was getting really famous, but he'd already started to see people coming to the Nirvana shows and he was like, oh, I don't want you as a fan. You're obviously just some fucking But that's it. Jock. That's how sensitive he is to it. It's like, oh, yeah. fuck, I've, I've, I've done this thing. I've gone yeah. past it. But, you know, I mean, you know, that kind of ultra kind of fed back uh, distorted guitar again. Uh-huh. Just uh, those like dirty tones. They're kind of, Again, they're just there to make you not, not notice how pretty that chorus is. It's uh, exactly it's this big sing along chorus. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, the tragedy. I mean, you you did, but I mean, I never got to see that sing along chorus oh, right, at yeah. Reading. I mean, yeah, we'll, no, talk, we'll talk enough. we'll talk about that a bit, I guess. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> but again, just the, the opening lyric of this: "Sell the kids for food." Yes. Perfect, yeah. man. It's just like, you know, just like, okay, I'm going to try and encapsulate these kind of people. I don't give a shit about anything. It's like, ah, oh, you know, every, every, life is cheap. We can just do this. Yeah, sure. Ah, fuck it. We can have some more. Nature's a whore. You know, it's... Yeah. Uh, and he, he really captures the kind of... Uh, I like to sing along to all the pretty songs. He likes to shoot his guns. guns. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that, and it's such a, uh, an evocative image of dickhead yeah. Americans. Yeah, you just got him and you got, you know, got, he's wearing a trucker cap, isn't he? Yeah. Well, you see, I had it more of kind of the, the jocks at school in, in the, the football jerseys. All oh, right. Okay. Uh, out the back of their, their dad's house shooting guns, drinking out of the red cups, you know, nice. that sort of shit. 
That's what I pictured. Fair like, I don't want you at my gigs, mate. But they're coming along and they're getting involved in the mosh pit too hard. Yeah, yeah. And they're, yeah. you know, laughing whenever a girl falls down and hurts herself and doesn't get her back up again. That's I mean, I, I always enjoyed when we got the dickhead in the mosh pit. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah they found out soon yes. that that was not going to be ending well for them. Anyway. Um, there's one thing in this I didn't realise. Um, it was just from reading up on it. That there's a lyrical technique he used in this called basically cut up, mm-hmm. which is something William Burroughs did. Yeah, and maybe someone's reading too much into this. I don't know, mm-hmm. but actually, it looks like it might work. Basically, if you take the first line from verse one mm-hmm. and then put the first line from verse two, and then do line two from verse one, line two from verse two, it it comes out as sell the kids for food. We can have some more. Yeah, weather changes moods. Nature is a whore. So you've got weather and nature. Yeah. Spring is here again. Bruises on the fruit. Reproductive glands. Tender age in bloom. So uh, they work together like that as well. Oh, that, I mean, that, yeah, that does make a lot That's of sense. That's really clever. Because there's a thing on the album cover as well where he does a cut-up of all the lyrics from the album, isn't oh, there? This is something... I'm not sure if it's on this vinyl one. But it's definitely in the CD. Yeah. Because this is very... Yeah, there's not very much sparse, going on. But yeah. yeah, it's definitely something in the uh, in in the liner notes. No, where you're right there. There's the, the, st- the kind of bits and pieces from different lyrics of the songs kind of put together to kind of make a, you know, like a kind of a cut up story. But yeah, again, very very much a William Burroughs thing. Yeah, indeed. And obviously, we know that he was a fan of William Burroughs because he was part of the the split seven inch yes. with uh, Jesus Lizard. Yes. Um, was it was it Oh the Guilt? Oh the Guilt. Yeah. Yeah. For which was for the Burroughs project. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but again, like you said, when you come back to it, this is just such a catchy, catchy song. It's kind of another mid-tempo one, mm-hmm. so it's easy to get into. It's, it's almost sounds slow in the verse because they take it just down to the bass and that's very little bit of drums. But when the chorus comes crashing in again and everything's straight like on top of you once more... That is a huge chorus. And it's also, you know, it's that that little bit that's into the chorus, that, that scream into the chorus. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Perfect, mate. It's yeah. gorgeous. It's one, you know, that, that chorus is just one of the, you know, one of the biggest moments on an album full of big moments. Yeah, yeah. And and the very, you know, as soon as it came in, as soon as we started playing it, we could just see both of us like that. Yeah. Iconic again. Amazing. Absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. Right. As I just point out, In Bloom uh, was the fourth of the four singles they released. Right. Off this. The first one was Smells Like Teen Spirit, which was in September of uh, 1991. In Bloom was released in November of 1992. Yeah. And it only got to 28, but that's kind of the very end of the album cycle sort mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, but then the next song, track three, which is Come As You Are, was the second single. And this was released in March of 92. So obviously, if you know the song "80s" by Killing Joke, yeah. it is unmistakably it very, is. very reminiscent of it. It absolutely it, is. Yeah. In fact, I mean, for anyone who doesn't, let me just pause this, the Nirvana one, and we'll play a bit of "80s" by Killing Joke. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly the same, but it's very reminiscent yeah. of it, and even in the sound of the guitar yeah. as well. And they were aware of it as well. They Nirvana were, yes, yeah. yes, they were. And I read that. There was discussion about whether this should be the second single or not, because Kurt was a bit nervous about the similarity and didn't yeah. want to get the negative yeah. press off it and that sort of thing. And Killing Joke did get the arsehole with it a little bit, didn't they? They did. But in the same time, what they didn't do was sue. No, no, they didn't. Uh, it never went further than 
kind of complaints and bitching in the press and that sort of stuff. Sure. And I bet you that they did okay financially out of it because I suspect there were a lot of Nirvana fans maybe checked out a bit of Killing Joke because yeah. of that. You know, so there would there would definitely be an upside. Sure. And it wasn't like Kurt was ever saying, "Oh, we didn't do it. Uh, we didn't know." He yeah. admitted it. Yeah. So it was kind of they weren't they they weren't up against someone who was going, "Well, you're a liar." Mm-hmm. It was admitted, and they got the press off the back of it. I did find out though that because eighties came out in nineteen eighty four, there is a song from nineteen eighty two by the Damned, right? Right. Called "Life Goes On." Okay. Let's play this. Wow. Indeed. Wow, that's really close again. Indeed. So I do wonder if someone maybe pointed that out and Killing Joke went, ah, so maybe if we do follow this up, we're going to be, you know, on the hook as well. Because I'd never heard of that one before reading up for this podcast. That was completely uh, out out of my knowledge. But then again, I hadn't heard... About the, about, I had never heard '80s by Killing Joke before, probably 1993. Yeah, when this sort of stuff was getting talked about in the press, I didn't know that song at all. For me, whenever I first heard "Come as You Are," yeah, didn't cross my mind. And yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, Killing Joke are a fucking great band, right? A really, really good band. Um, and I think '80s by Killing Joke is a great song. I do think that this song, for everything that it shares. Is markedly different. It's a totally different song. Yeah. Oh, oh that's uh, it. Is. You know, obviously, you know, it's got a very different pace to it. Uh, and you know, you kind of got that. This song's kind of got a very kind of ethereal, kind of spacey mm. nature. This is this is the underwater song, isn't it? it? Exactly. It sounds like it's being recorded in a pool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, m- maybe some of that is me just remember because the video. I think the video had some water effects. In I it. think so maybe, yeah. The, the video I think was kind of. They were trying to evoke the album cover, yeah, that sort of stuff. So it was there was water effects uh, in front of the band in a live performance, and then there were shots of underwater as well. But again, this is just a, a really beautifully written song. I mean, the way that that uh, the vocal shifts out of the verse into that bridge, and then they just do the kind of the pullback. They, like, they, they don't let it go into the chorus the first time around. Oh yeah, uh huh. And it's just like, oh, it's just like a really nice little kind of tease to it. Uh-huh. And it's just, you know, kind of holds it back. It's like almost waiting for the drop in dance music, isn't it? You know? Uh, right, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know it's coming. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. indeed. But again, just so many good lyrics in this, man. Like, that, I think the thing that always stuck out to me that doused in mud, soaked in bleach. Right, sure. Doused in mud. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot of, in the lyrics, there's a lot of talk about kind of conflicts and different instructions so yeah. it's you know come as you are as but also as i want you to be yeah uh it, it diced in mud soaked in bleach. bleach so it's like dirty and clean it's like i want you to do do what you want to do as long as it's this yeah. that i want it's, it's that kind of push and pull um and it, whether that is about him being told what to do growing up and not uh, wanting to follow instructions but you know you, you don't have the freedoms that you want who knows well, you know it sure. also touches on hypocrisy doesn't it There's a lot of this stuff is always about hypocrisy you get this you get the sense that Kurt is always acutely attuned to the way that people are told the world is supposed to be right but it isn't that and almost in that kind of semi kind of autistic way the disconnect between what you're told and what it actually is is so jarring to him that it kind of produces this really kind of it's like you know you almost feel with him or I certainly have anyway that he just looks at the world and went the idea of what this is is so simple, but it's so fucked and okay and distorted that 
it doesn't make sense and it's like it just kind of made him uneasy with right. everything right okay like, and and like he feel, didn't fit yeah like he didn't fit or that there's a certain for someone that you know obviously was a drug addict died you know from from suicide of his own hand yeah. obviously there were you know mental health issues going on with him so oh, yes, medication was huge you know and it's that to me i think is the interesting thing it's like this world is so fucked and I can see it and nobody else can or or maybe everybody else can and they can deal with it and I can't but right sure that yeah their brain works in a way that lets them yeah that they can just let that be I can't let that be and I always felt that I always felt that I always felt that Uh, kind of and that's the thing that I always got from it I was like ah you you get it you get that this this stuff that they're saying isn't the way that it is Uh and you know obviously for my perspective you know i would you know it would it would take me years to kind of understand the basis of where some of my difficulties with mental health had come from obviously in terms of you know getting diagnosed with adhd and things like that which made a lot of things make sense Mm -hmm. but for me things were just out of kilter and hearing somebody talking about that that was such a big deal for me i see so at the time whenever you were listening to this album as a 16 year old or whatever Mm. were you getting that from the lyrics then I was, that was coming across. I'm always someone that... Uh, I love lyrics, but I don't, don't necessarily need the whole lyric. I don't need the whole uh-huh. thing as a piece. What I'll always do is, like, l- images and things like that will stand out to me from the page and they'll send my kind of mind on a little wander. And there were so many different bits and pieces in lyrics across this album. I mean, I'm not even saying that Come As You Are was the main no, no. thing, but there was just so many things that, that made me think about things in a slightly different way. Okay. I mean, this album... This album whilst I would never say to you that like I was the biggest Nirvana fan uh, like there were so many other bands that I liked more than Nirvana but when I look back at it and I think about thought processes that this made me had that I'd never been exposed to oh, right. it had a really profound effect on the way that I viewed life and that stayed with me for I mean, for, that's endured, has it? Yeah, it endured, and it's you know, I mean, you know, you kind of grow up and you get a different thing. Let, you know, let's not forget as well when Kurt Cobain wrote this record, he's still essentially a fucking kid. Oh, yeah, I, I, I don't know the details, but yeah, he's probably, what, like early 20s? Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, and, you know, you, you think about, you know, you think about how much you knew about the world in your early 20s. Fuck all. And that was the thing you always got from these Nirvana records. You got the sense that they knew something that you didn't know. Okay. How many say you, they? You, know, you mean Kurt, basically. Well, yeah, true. Um, in terms of this song... I like it. I really do. It's obviously a great song. Yeah. I think the chorus, uh, you know, raises it up. Yeah. And obviously there's the, the weirdness now when he's singing I Don't Have a Gun. The, yeah. The, the post-suicide mm-hmm. strange effect of that. This was never my favourite song on the album. It was never my like, favourite either. Bit too, I find it a bit too slow and a bit too... And I don't want to say boring because it's not, but compared to the other ones that I fucking loved... Yeah. It didn't excite me as much. See, I think that's probably my initial reaction. Yeah. But I think, again, like, you know, as you live with an album for a long time, this became a song that I did love. Right, sure. Uh, you know, for me, I probably don't have that criticism of this song. I, oh, right, okay. I, I did. Uh, I remember thinking at the time, oh, this is, this is very good, but I want to hear the other ones that sure. I, are my favourites. Uh, I don't know if I would have skipped this, but I definitely would have been. Oh uh, yeah, no, you know, I would not have put this onto a compilation album for somebody. Fair enough, mate, fair, way, enough you know? fair enough. No, I, I I agree with you completely. I mean, this is an album full of tracks that stand out to me. Oh yeah, 
So for me, it's not that it says that this song is bad. It just says that the uh, the other stuff on here is amazing. Exactly. My God, it's amongst such uh, you know quality yeah. that it's it's just a little bit below the rest. Yeah, me. I mean, I I feel if you're listening to this, hoping for some like really savage kind of critique, us taking the oh, piss God, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> or maybe they'll get to track seven and they'll hate it. I mean, God, we are being we are being <laughs> overly reverential about this. We should be ashamed of ourselves. I know. But you know, fuck it, we're going to call them as we see them. That's true, man. True. Well, let's do track number four. All right, track four is breed. And this is just a fucking jack. Can you hear that drum oh, fill? It's ridiculous. It's, it's so hard, yeah. so fast. Racing through the drums. Bam. Yeah. I mean, this is the song on here that probably feels most like a Bleach era song, isn't it? I would agree with that. Yeah. Yes, yes, definitely. And you can tell that this is one they would love playing live. It's weird, though. There's kind of almost a... a, 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 a I don't know. I think this is going to be a thing that, I, that this will be just me. Okay. But I think there's almost a kind of a slightly kind of country inflection in the guitar tone. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, there's a kind of there's a weird kind of twang in the guitar uh-huh. at, that stands outside of the distortion. That I'm like, that's kind of almost. Well, I think that might just be you. No, I, fair I didn't enough, get that one. Yeah, I, uh, but it's non-stop this song, isn't it? It, it really is, and it's only there's only one verse and one chorus repeated. There's, mm-hmm. there's not like it, you know lots of different things going on. It's just this. It's A B A B A B to the end, but it does not let up. And the kind of the the guitar solo, if you want to call it a solo, yeah. is just fucking. It ramps it up. It's just moving up and no so. Just ratcheting the tension. Oh man, and this song again. This is another song that fucking spoke to me. Uh huh. Spoke to me as yeah, like as a kid, and it spoke to me later as I kind of faced another kind of dilemma. Because obviously, you know, I gr- I grew up in in Luton. Yep. Uh, and you know, the in the nineties, obviously, there was still kind of a lot of factory work there and things like that. And there was an overriding kind of culture within kind of the locals of it was a kind of almost a Almost an anti-intellectualism. Okay, yeah. You know, there was a certain framework that a lot of people that I knew went into, which is, you know, come out, come out of school, uh, don't bother with higher education, get yourself a job in a factory, yeah. Uh, you kind of, you know, kind of settle down with your girlfriend, have kids in your twenties, right? You know, and I, I saw that, and I saw, you know, kind of get yourself a new build house, and that wasn't the way things were for for my friends. You know, my, you know, my friends were, we were the kind of, you know, we We're were the weird university, and yeah, yeah, we, we, you know, we were just, you know, we, to be honest with you, mainly what we were doing was smoking a lot of weed, true, um, and you know, kind of playing in bars and you know, kind of being kind of punk dickheads, right? But, sure. But I, you know, I saw this, and I, and I, you know, that whole thing, you know, we, you know, we don't have to breed. That thing about those kind of cookie cutter relationships—that's uh-huh. what it said to me. Oh, definitely. Um, and I saw that, and I was like, yeah, fucking, hell, this guy gets it. He gets it. it like, and I, you know, obviously growing up in, you know, kind of Aberdeen, mm. uh, it's very different to growing up there. But it was, it was the same thing. A it small was like, time. Yeah, it was like you know, kind of a prevailing mindset that didn't Conforming. want anything fucking different, you know. You know, walking through, you know, walking through town on a skate with a skateboard on a Saturday night, man. It was like, you know, you had to be ready to get it's into a, a fight. Target on you at that you point. Had to be ready to get into a fight, man. Yeah. The amount of fights that you know we got into, you know, or kind of beatings that we took a lot of the time, yeah, just from fucking towny assholes, you know. And because you were different, yeah, because we were different and we wanted to be different, yeah. Uh, and you know, and went out of our way to make ourselves look. And you know, this. Spoke to me, man. That's like, nice. And all it did was reinforce the idea that 
what I was doing was right. Okay, yeah. Like, you, you didn't need to go, okay, well, fuck it, maybe I should just conform. Yeah. Maybe I should just do it. Everyone else is doing this. Yeah. Right. There's someone else out there who's behind you. Absolutely, right. Man. Yeah. Cool. And, and the world caught up with that, you know. It's going to a lot more diversity out there oh, now. Absolutely, there is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I never got that from the lyrics because it must have been, it was never kind of on my mind. Mm-hmm. But I did love the stuff. The, the lyrics about um, uh, we could plant a house, we could build a tree. Yeah, you know, that's that's funny. That's, mm-hmm. that's a little bit quirky. I don't even care. We don't have to breed. Yeah, it's another good one. It's like uh, slogans singing along but he just spits them all out as That's, well and this is yeah, exactly this is furious bam 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 it's all coming out in a, in a torrent but the interesting thing as well is you know even when he's in his screamy phase it's like you know, the, the chorus to this it's like it's you know he's screaming but he's so in tune as well there's still such mm-hmm. a sense of melody even with the screams yeah which is you know it's kind of a pop song oh it definitely is it's, it's one of the it's one of the least like pop songs on this record, no, but again, but it if still you, is. If you sing it just in a just singing along, yeah. that's all uh, major key. That's that's just a catchy little tune, mm-hmm. yeah. And that, we haven't really said because I, mean, I suppose there's songs that will come on to later when he's more singing than and shouting, mm-hmm. but he's got a lovely voice. I mean, when, he's, when, uh, when, it, when he sings, he's got a really pretty voice. Yeah. Um, he also doesn't want that all the time, and he deliberately makes it uh, coarse and harsh. Sure, it's, it's to the point. Though, do, you, do you remember how surprised a lot of people were when uh, they did the, the unplugged? Yeah, and people were like, "Oh man, he really can sing." Yeah, uh, but I would say, I think from my memory of listening to this, whenever I was sixteen, of the four songs we've had so far, yeah, this is my favorite. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, this is this is the one I got. I mean. I had to adjust to this record. Yeah. Right. It was so far out of, and it's, it's weird because it's such a mainstream record. It's such a poppy record. And we're talking about how poppy it is, but it sounded so different to anything I'd heard before. Yeah. I mean, I thought this was the most out there, heaviest thing in the world that you could possibly get when I first heard this. Sure. I mean, I, you know, I had an education that changed pretty rapidly <laughs> yeah. from there, but Christ, this song, once I kind of got the beat of it, it's oh, it's just it kind of connects into that visceral kind of feeling. It is. It's it's pure, you know, adrenaline yeah. going on there, and it, it really just scoops me up with it. And when you're that age and you're full of that and you're full of that kind of conflict, yeah, it's just what you it's want. Perfect, man. Absolutely perfect. All right, cool. So that's number four. Track number five. Number five is lithium. And Lithium was the third single in July of 1992. Yeah. Got to number 11 in the UK charts. Mm-hmm. I remember this very well, too. You know, the, this intro is, is stuck in my head forever from the first time you hear it. Yeah. I mean, this song, probably almost more than any of the other songs on this record, uh, spoke to me so fucking much. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, my God, man. Just that lyric, man. That lyric, that whole thing is uh, that that thing of, uh, uh, I'm so ugly, it's okay, because so are you. Uh-huh. Right? Brooke all mirrors. Yeah. And, and I just remember at that time, you know, 
I felt ugly. Right. right? I felt ugly. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I wasn't. Teenagers are always, you yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't an attractive fucking kid. I was way too skinny, and I'd come out of high school. I had quite a bad time, you know. Yeah. And like, you know, it was a, it was a kind of a shitty culture there, you know. And I came out of believing that I was a, you know, kind of completely uh, not what I needed to be to kind of have a girlfriend. Gotcha. Right? And you know, and I remember. Like being attracted to alternative girls, you know, I was mm-hmm. you know in sixth form college, I was attracted to these alternative girls, but not being anywhere near cool enough to know really what I needed to do sure. to talk to them, you know, and and that just kind of, you know, but kind of creating that kind of idea, it's like you know, I'm a weirdo, you're a weirdo, this will be right. fucking amazing, you know, and it just kind of summed all of those thoughts that I were having up, even though that's not necessarily what the song's actually about. It's what it was about to so me. You know, at the time. Well, and that's you know music. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, this song is obviously it's called Lithium. Yeah. It deals a lot with depression. Yep. Uh, and again, like I said, I wouldn't put a word, you know, I'd, I mean, I'd go on to suffer, you know, with depression, anxiety for, you know, a good part of my adult life. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't understand that for years, but there's something about this song and the way that it talked to me and the language of it and the the the, the, right. the downbeat nature and the way that the lyric goes with it that i connected with it even though long... you know why exactly that right exactly okay that. i don't believe for a second that oh i listen to this kind of stuff and that's why things were... it, it, no, no, no. it kind of just kind of caught something in the back of my head and it all makes there's a familiarity a, it makes a somewhere. ton of sense going back to it now and looking at it and going that's why I fucking got this song so I that's see. why it connected with me so much uh, it doesn't help that it's a fucking catchy bastard oh my fucking god the, the, again like I just remember like every time this chorus went off just feeling uh, like like a bomb had gone off in my body you know? and yeah. just feeling just waiting for it and just being like fucking you can go And I mean that's a big release chorus yeah, yeah that is you know Huge euphoric mm-hmm. uh, come together, sing along that one. But you know, the, 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 the uh, you know, we've hardly talked about him at all on this, but that fucking uh, Chris Novoselic bass line, which is a really distinctive kind mm. of Chris Novoselic bass line as well in this song. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so simple to the point I, I remember, you know, kind of musicians kind of ridiculed Novoselic a little bit, but it's, it's the thing that served the song. Well, exactly. Exactly. And you know, similar to Grohl's bits, he's not doing intricate fills and, you know, putting too much of his mark on it. He's doing what the song needs. And the, I read a couple of things uh, when, when doing a bit of research on this, where uh, Chris Novoselic said that on some songs he was presented with, this is what you should do, or Butch Vig had said, all right, do it this way. Chris had taken some bits away and simplified it yeah. because he thought, don't need any of that. Mm-hmm. This is what it needs. It just needs a sim, a little kind of up and down or a bump, 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 bump whatever it is, yeah. and taking away some of the extraneous nonsense. Well, we've just listened to thirty tracks of a band who have no the internal sense ones, of, yeah. of self editing at all. It's always put more in, put more in, yeah. and you know this is a reaction to that, isn't it? Well, it's very indeed. much a reaction to indeed. that. But you are right. People did start criticising uh, Novoselic for not being able to play. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, why? Why have you got him? He's you know amateur. Or whatever, doesn't matter, mate. No, doesn't matter. He plays perfectly for what these songs are. Exactly that. Exactly yeah. that. Um, yeah, he's not fucking Les Claypool. He doesn't need to be. I mean, we discussed this about Lars Ulrich, didn't we? But uh, we've, <laughs> let's not go there. Yeah. The stuff you were saying about uh, the line, "I'm so ugly." That's okay, because so are you. It has been said, and again, I think it was uh, an interview with with Novoselic. He said that at the time, Kurt Cobain thought he was really ugly, and this album was written after a breakup uh, with. 
uh, one of the the people from Bikini Kill, I think Toby Vale was her name, yep. and a lot of the songs are about the breakup or about her. Yeah, and so I imagine that uh, Cobain was feeling, you know, quote unquote, ugly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also was to do with uh, that's how he felt growing up as well. Sure, and it's just such a fucking pity when you when you know when he was a sex symbol for so many people around the world yeah. within a year of this coming out. It was, he was posters on the wall, the hottest man in the world for the, the alternative movement, and he couldn't see himself as an attractive no. man. And But that, that wouldn't have mattered to him because he would have always he would have always fueled that with, yeah, that's what they think because of this vacuous thing that doesn't matter. Right, because I'm successful now. Yeah. Right, you know, I've yeah. got a hit record. Exactly, and that's, that's the thing. It's like, yeah. you know... It, when, when you are in the frame of mind that he was in, when you're suffering from depression, etc., mm-hmm. and uh, whatever other mental health issues, you're never going to suddenly go, oh, well, if people say this, then yeah, maybe it is true. Maybe I am handsome. Well, see, maybe I am talented. I maybe mean, I'm worth it. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's the absolute thing. I mean, that's the absolute, you know, cunt of mental health mm. issues and depression. Because when your leg is broken, you know, you're well aware that your leg is broken, right. so you don't expect it to do those things because your leg doesn't control the way you rationalise things and and right. view the world. Yeah. Right? Unfortunately, when the illness is in your brain, the most insidious part of mental health is not believing that you're ill. Right. Just believing that it's the truth. R- oh, I see. This is the way things are because the logic that I apply to everything that allows me to see the world the way I see it applies to me in this way. And I'm a worthless uh, piece of shit. It's telling me this. Yeah, obviously I'm no good for anything, no good for everyone. Yeah. Everyone would be better off without me. It is absolutely insidious. Yeah. And the hardest thing in the world is to see someone that you care about feel that way and try and apply logic to it because it doesn't matter how much logic you apply until you get to a certain chip point where you get something to hold on to, mm. you can't see it sure well yeah you can't change somebody's mind by telling them things yeah. because their mind is their mind and that's the that's the only good thing about you know if you've been through it a, a couple of times you do learn some you you, you get some tools you get some oh, tools see, yeah. to kind of deal with those things right um and that's you know that's really you know that's really useful and you know but even then it can come at you like a wave in a way that you've never experienced it before indeed and just fuck you up yeah so, you know. Yeah, well, this song, I mean, as well as it being about depression, there's also a religious side to it. Yes. Um, which I think is, there's a nice couple of nice lines in here where it's kind of reflecting on both of those things. You know, I'm so happy because today I found my friends, they're in my head. Yeah. That's both about depression and about finding Jesus. Because I must admit, I kind of discarded the religious stuff in this for my own purposes. No, for sure. Yeah, well, well it, you know, that's it did, that was not the bit that's speaking to you. But, you know, I mean, I, I was reading some interpretations of this when we were... And obviously he's saying, he's, I think he said in an interview, there's a character in this and a thing that he needs to get by to recover from this breakdown is religion. And, yes, exactly. That's what he needs. Yeah, he... he He's invested himself in religion so that he doesn't go too far down the depression path. Yes, indeed. Yeah. That's his almost like his safety valve. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is it's that. Um, and there's another line, Sunday morning is every day for all I care. I mean, that could be about depression. It's like Sunday morning is just blah, boring. Yeah. Or it could be, oh, great, every day is Sunday because I'm always at church because yeah. I'm now Absolutely. one with Jesus. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's just, it's another very cleverly written one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's full of stuff about conflicts and contradictions again you know i'm so happy i'm so lonely yeah. you know i'm so horny all this stuff it's a brilliantly put together song and it's catchy as fuck again yeah. 
I don't know how he does it. And, and here's the weird thing, right? Yeah. A lot of the time with clever device, right, whether it's in literature, whether it's in poetry, whether it's in songwriting, mm. you know, you can see the moving parts of the device. You can see someone being almost impressed with their own technical ability. Okay, yeah. And sometimes, you know, that will make things stand out and, I don't know, feel less uh, real. Or well, it's, it's sort of like it's, you're, you're seeing behind the curtain a bit. They're going, yeah. no, this is how I did this trick. It's like, oh, well, it's not. not but the thing is, you just kind of get the impression that this shit just poured out of him. Yeah. And that he didn't over-intellectualise the the framework of that. That's just how he wrote. But I, yeah. don't, I don't know whether that's true or I not. I don't know. I mean, I've read that he did take a lot of his lyrics from poems that he had done, from his own poetry. And yeah. he would put bits from different poems together. Uh, see if they fitted. But I think you're right that his brain just kind of worked that way. And so when he was coming to write down these lyrics and put ideas together, he didn't have to try too hard to make it this clever because that's just... He's, he's, he kind of saw the big picture and went, that, that all fits. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, these aren't songs a lot of the time you go into and get like a, a straightforward meaning from the lyrics, mm. but everything evokes an emotion. Yeah, everything comes together and evokes something, and you know that's the the genius of it. Really, oh, that's part of the magic. Anyway, look. Um, so look, we've just done five tracks here. I I kind of put a little bit of a shout out on Twitter earlier. Oh yeah, shout out, shout out. Yeah, <laughs> radio one <laughs> phrases that Kurt Cobain would hate. <laughs> Ken Bruce. Uh, and you know, I just asked some people any memories that they had of it. So I just thought I'd read a couple cool, of yeah. those out. Kind yeah, of yeah. Thing. So um, yeah, I mean, who we got here? Our, our good friend Mike Collins. Yeah, so he was saying that the first memory he has uh, was listening to John Peel play every track uh, from it, one of his shows just prior to release. Played every song off the album? Yeah, apparently so. Fucking hell. So That's again, brilliant. I mean, I'd, I'd have missed out on that, but I mean, you can, yeah, I mean, you can't see John Peel not being a fan no, of these absolutely. guys, can you? Absolutely. And also the five uh, the 5K Kerrang! review uh, where uh, Mike Gitter described it, and he said, he may be paraphrasing here, mm. but Black Flag gigging with the Beatles. That's good. That is good. That is very good, yes. And I think every single member of Nirvana would be very happy with that. Yeah, you'd hope so, wouldn't yeah. you? Do you know what I mean? Obviously, oh, definitely. Uh, oh, I mean, I mean, Grohl is deeply from his kind of punk rock roots, isn't he? Sure. Scream oh, days and definitely. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Exactly. So was Cobain. He was a big Black Flag fan. Oh, for sure, mate, yeah. for sure. Uh, so Cooper RPJ, uh, 79. Uh, his memory here is, remember getting this on cassette from Woolworths. There you go. Woolworths. <laughs> Uh, it was played so much that the singles wore a bit thin for me, but always loved Lounge Acts. We'll be coming oh, on to nice. Lounge Acts yeah, in a little yeah, while. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, number one rerun podcast. Uh, they, they, they were 13 when this landed. Okay, uh, right. Okay, so for Carla, it was life-defining at the time. Remains one of her favourite albums. And whether it intended or not is a perfect pop record, which chimes very much oh, in with what I, we're saying. I think, this, yeah, we can't argue that. Uh, Zoe was still hanging tough with the new kids at this point, so <laughs> I missed it all. The <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the one thing you can say about Kurt is he's not as tough as Donny. Oh well, nobody's as tough as Donny. No one is no as one. tough as Donny. And uh, Martin Young has been uh, in hey, contact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey Martin, the only memory I have of this is as a four-year-old being scared by the strange man singing in a scary voice when they did Teen Spirit on top of the Pops. Oh, oh God, the top of the Pops performance was oh, weird. Mate. Infamous performance when Kurt did his Morrissey impersonation. Yeah. What fucking like just start hating black people. <laughs> No, that was a, that was a another iconic performance. Whenever they refused to mime, uh, Kurt was doing his completely fake playing of the yeah. guitar, and Dave Grohl was doing absolutely nothing like the drums. So they must have played your backing track, but Kurt sang like you know a 
possessed demon sort of thing. Nice. That was wicked. Mate, amazing stuff. I also, I, in looking through stuff, I watched again their word performance of Smells Like Teen Spirit, which apparently was, and I didn't realise this, it was their first televised performance in the world. Wow. Yeah. Um, it was November the 8th, 1991, on the word, when okay. they, they did Smells Like Teen Spirit. And that was the time when, before they started, Kurt uh, went, I just want everyone to know that uh, Courtney Love, the singer of the band Hole, is the best fuck in the world. Nice. Yeah, and that was how they started it straight into Teen Spirit. Amazing. Yeah. That's great. And that, and that was the, I didn't realise, that was the first time they'd ever been on telly. That's crazy. That's fucking mental, mate. I know. I mean, there's another... Terry Christian introducing you. Terry fucking Christian. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, but we will, uh, I mean, there was another a memorable TV performance. We'll talk to that when we get, get to the song. Right. So, track number six. Right, number six. Okay, well, Polly. So that's super stripped down, just the guitar there. Yeah. Polly wants a cracker. Think I should get off her first. Think she wants some water. To put out the blowtorch. Isn't me, have a seed, let me clip, dirty wings, let me take a ride, cut yourself, want some help, please myself, got some rope, haven't told, promise you, haven't true, let me take a ride. We are just listening to the whole oh, no. song. Yeah, listen, the thing is, you know, we shouldn't do that because we'll get sued. But um, <laughs> uh, we, you know, obviously this is the most stripped down song on the on the album. Yes, yeah, definitely that. You know, obviously it's the most kind of foreshadowing of the unplugged, sure type thing, sure. Um, and you know, but in fucking sharp contrast to the absolute wave of terrible singer-songwriter acoustic stuff that has plagued our charts for the last All 10 right, yeah. years. I mean, I mean, this song, obviously on the face of it, if you take it purely literally, captured captured a bird, mm-hmm. Polly, probably a parrot. Polly a cracker. The stuff about that, you know, captured it, is torturing it, yeah. but kind of loves it, right? Yeah, they're clipped, clipped dirty wings. Yeah. Uh-huh. Obviously, it's all a, a metaphor or analogy for... Uh, a, a real life case where someone kidnapped, abducted, and and raped a young woman or yeah. or girl. It's an anti-rape song. Uh, yeah, but written from the perspective of the protagonist of the rapist. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like actually putting like some weird kind of almost kind of slight pathos on him, but you still know he's the villain. Do you know what I mean? It's, oh, sure, but exactly. But when you're putting yourself into his mind yeah. and seeing things the way that he's seeing them yeah. he's not going oh I'm the terrible person of course mm-hmm. he thinks well this is just how things are it's, for me it's what it's one of my absolute favorite songs on this album is that right yeah I have, I've absolutely loved this song I loved it the first time I heard it didn't understand. oh really straight yeah. away I always loved this song I don't I don't know ah. what it was there's just something about it that kind of got me just that that kind of uh, she wants some water to put out the bloaters, and I, I, I didn't mm-hmm. know the story behind that at all. No, uh, I didn't for years out until year. Well, I, I knew that it was about a rape because yeah. that was in some of the press, sure. uh, the reviews. I didn't know the whole story of the what the actual story was. Yeah, yeah. It's just an in, incredibly evocative song, and you know that there is 
something fucked up about this song. Sure. Oh, it's it's. It, I mean, there's. I don't know if it's a menacing thing, but there's an off kilterness about it. Yeah. That you're like, I'm not. This is uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of you know almost like that. It's not because it's not as pronounced, but that kind of Lynchian air of menace. That okay. Kind of people talk. It's okay. Where, everything is just is skewed, and you're like, okay, I know what this is. This is an acoustic. This is an acoustic song, talk, but what's wrong with it? There's something wrong with it. Because it, it it's very pretty. Yeah. You know, again, it's a nice tune, and he's, he's the, uh, his voice on this is beautiful. Uh, it's, it's very gentle, mm-hmm. all of those things. But then, yeah, the subject matter is horrendous. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's the real clash there when you, when you actually think about it. But, you know, you could... Oh, if you didn't know anything about it, you could hear this and go, oh, this is lovely. It's a really nice yeah. song. There's, there's an underlying contempt for... What there is is there's a contempt for the idea that this could be normal for someone that runs through it. Right, sure. Okay, yeah. That's the that's the thing. It's not the... There's no moralising. There's no... You know, it, it, it's such a difficult subject matter to write around. And you know mm. how heavy-handed stuff around this kind of thing can, can be. be right? yeah. You know... Um, it's not Janie Got a Gun, right? I mean, I fucking uh-huh. love Janie Got a That's Gun. That's a good tune. Fucking love Janie yeah, Got sure. a Gun. But, you know, it's an entirely different take on that, really. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's also not as difficult to listen to as Tori Amos was Me in a Gun. No. Because that's from her point of view. Mm-hmm. This is putting you into, you know, an external frame yeah. to, to look at this thing. And so it's putting you in the position of being the, the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes it weird to think of, but it's not as challenging and horrifying to listen to as some other ones. No, either. Yeah, it, it's done. I think a great job in highlighting an in a, an issue that he you know desperately cares about and shining light on the story that happened in his uh, not his own yeah. time, but in his locale. But again, you know, like you know, we go back and we'll talk about the likes of Phil Collins, where there's an issues-based song. Right? Yeah. Here's a song. Let's shine a light on it. You know, that, that, I don't get the sense that's what he's trying to do. I think he's, I think he's just got, he's heard about something, he's been affected by it, so he's written a song about it. Sure. You know, I, I, I don't need to raise awareness. I'm not, you, you know, I'm not doing this. I mean, obviously, oh, no, no, but true. He's not doing it. Going and by the way, you know, donate to such and such. Yeah. But yeah, he thinks it's. That's why you know it's an emotional thing. Yeah, I mean this song, you know, kind of it, 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 it's a tough listen, man. It breaks your heart to listen to it. I yeah. think it really, yeah, it really, I, I do feel affected by this song when I hear it. Right, uh, yeah. For me, it is. I, mean, I, I get it. Obviously, it's brilliant, mm-hmm. and like I say, it's pretty and gorgeous, and you know, you can hum that tune and be very, yeah. very happy. But yeah, with the, the kind of the dissonance between the subject matter and the the way it's presented. Mm-hmm does give you some some pause sometimes absolutely and in terms of the way it was done i think it's they made the right decision because apparently you know if you've heard incesticide you've heard new wave poly yeah um you know the the other version they did of it whenever they played it live uh it was a bit more going on but when they were in the studio and kurt was trying to explain to butch Vig how this one went and what he wanted to do he was just sitting there on a sofa doing it and butch Vig went why don't we just try this yeah. Just literally do that, and then he had other... It was, I mean, this is actually Chad Channing on The Symbol Crashes because it's a very early right. uh, session that Butch Vig recorded with him. But he's like, okay, well, we don't want to do too much else. We're not going to have a load of drums. We're not mm. going to have uh, a, a bass line throughout. Just do that and see how it comes out. And I think that was the right decision. Absolutely. You know, this as... Uh, but especially, and I, I thought about it only for this, 
as the closer for side one of the tape or the vinyl, yeah. that is a brilliant way to end that side. Without a doubt. You know, it's bang in the middle of a CD, it's bang in the middle of a Spotify playlist, and you, you, you're just going through. But as end of side one, that's, you know, perfect, that's brilliant. Yeah, I agree, I agree mm. with you completely, my friend. Right, so, track seven. Track seven. And, you know, this is the way to start side two. kind of evangelist preacher and then just fucking bang yeah some just dirty feedback hard hard guitar drums motherfucker what vitriol (laughs) yeah absolutely this is a fucking lightning bolt to the face of a song Yeah, so there's territorial pissings. Yeah, so you kind of get from that title. It's, it's again, it's about that kind of monkey man uh-huh, kind of alpha male bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and this is one of the shorter ones. This is only two minutes twenty two. This is a very short punch of a song. But by God, it does its job. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? It's when he deals with the subject matter about those kind of people who uh, you know kind of trade on anger and violence. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's when he gets his most angry. <laughs> it's true as well, yeah. And it's like you know, and that's the thing that I, again, the th- that I always had a really clear definition in my mind. Uh-huh. I always because I, you know, I hated, I hated violence. Right. I did. I hated violence. Right. But I understood aggression, and I understood that anger bit. Yeah, and but th- there was ways of expressing that around people in a positive way that didn't involve people getting the shit beaten out of them. Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that thing, that, that, that for that period in my life, my 20s, that commune of the mosh pit, yep. where it was like, okay, we're going to go mental. We're going to play by certain rules. We're not going to hurt each other. And if someone goes down, we're going to look after each other. Right? That was like really therapeutic to me. That was my... Okay. And then late, later on, kind of bands, like kind of getting on stage and well, screaming say, and all of those kind yeah, of things. Yeah, because you right? were in bands from a very young age as well. Yeah. So you were able to be that angry front man shouting and screaming at a crowd. But it was and it, but to me it was always that was always very different to kind of street violence. Oh, that, uh, of that, course. that ugly thing, you know, and I and I you know I found myself later on in like kind of caught up in some of yeah. those things, you know, kind of that thing where I've like, you know, kind of not been able to let things go and things along those lines. Right. And yeah. like, you know, partly I count to losing that thing in my life where no, I, I see, was yeah. able to, you know You didn't have the other outlet. Yeah, I think that's that's there and you need to you you know, you need to denying that that stuff exists is a gateway to fucking nowhere. That's just building okay. it up. You've got to find outputs for it, whether it's writing or something creative, I think. No, nope, that makes sense. And that's kind of what I always got from a song like Territorial Pissings. Right. I mean, this is this is absolute fury, bottled fury. Loved it, man. But this was, and this was, uh, you know, like when they were, this was the thing we were talking about, the TV performance. They were supposed to be on yes. the Jonathan Ross show. And what were they supposed to be playing? They were supposed to be playing they're, they're playing... supposed to Lithium. Lithium. Because that was the single at the time. Yeah. I, mean, like, I mean, Lithium's a heavy enough song anyway. Oh, sure. But fucking hell, they just dropped this in. No, exactly. Yeah. No, it's wonderful to watch that. It's, yeah. it's on YouTube, and it's, it's Jonathan Ross. He goes, and you know, here are the biggest band in the world playing the new single Lithium, and then it just cuts to the, uh, the band, and Chris Novoselic does that. Come on, people know, it. and you're like, oh, oh yeah. all right, and they do just go fucking ape shit for it, okay. and smash the guitars up at the end, and all that sort of stuff. Cut back to Jonathan Ross going, 
well, that wasn't uh, what we were expecting. You know, it is very clean cut suit yeah, on yeah, Channel yeah. 4. Well, that wasn't the song that they were, said they were going to play. Uh, you know, he makes jokes and pass it off, but that is a great performance. Exactly. Yeah, I love it. Exactly. Some bits about this, I hadn't even thought about it. Whenever I looked at the lyrics, each of the verses are only two lines long, but it's a very short song. Yeah. But you can't really even call them verses, I would have said. It literally is two lines, gotta find a way, chorus, two more lines. And just gets in and out. It's got uh, one of the lyrics I didn't even realise. Never met a wise man, if so, it's a woman. Yeah. You know, that's a great lyric. As of course well, it you is. Know. And again, very evocative of Cobain as well. Yep. He was always pushing that. And this has the, the line in there, which is you know, iconic. I love it. But the, just because you're paranoid... I mean, don't mean they're not after you. That's a great Absolutely. Line. I mean, yeah. you know, it's a standard. Indeed, but, but, but I haven't heard it before this. I, exactly that. It was the first time I'd heard it, and I was like, oh, that's... Oh. I mean, I, I think I had that written on, on uh, A-level books Is that school. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah. exactly that sort of thing you yeah. would have. You, you'd... Uh, Typix it onto your dog mate, minds. Uh, totally. Yeah, no, I, I love this song. And when I talk about, you know, Come As You Are wasn't one of my favourite songs or whatever, because that wasn't what I wanted yeah. from Nirvana... This is what I wanted from Nirvana. I wanted territorial pissings and I wanted the harder, heavier ones. Sure. Because that was what was brand new to me and I was suddenly into mm-hmm. and made me overly yeah, happy. Absolutely, yeah. mate. Absolutely. This, I was, this is the same. sublime, I was the same. this fucking song. Right, so track eight is called Drain You. One baby two. Those slides into the drum field. Yeah. There's quite a lot of that on this record. But, uh, so good, man. So good. I mean, and this is another clear pop song. Yeah, this without is, a doubt. This is... Every bit about this is sing-along in, you know, in your shower. This is the one that sticks in your head. You feel like this song almost inspired the entire Weezer back catalogue. Oh, God. It's so, so evocative, yeah. that, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean... Great, straight ahead, straightforward pop song, yep. like you say. Uh, massive kind of uh, hook in it. But, you know, to me, what the song was always about, or the thing I always got from it, was about that kind of like codependent yes. love. Yes, exactly. That kind of love where Slightly you... unhealth, too codependent. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, where you lose track of the borders between you. And and it was it's kind of written from the perspective that like he was kind of aware that he was always going to take more than he gave. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Okay. It's like, you know, I'll be, we'll be in this, in this kind of thing, and you won't be at a function, and I won't be at a function. But I'll be all right with it, and you maybe won't. Okay, sure. That whole thing is now my duty to completely drain you, like yeah. to suck you. So me and my issues are going to suck your shit out, and you're going to have to deal with me all the time. Well, it's, it starts off from the kind of perspective of two innocents, and you know, one baby said to the other, yeah. "I'm so lucky to have met you." But then instantly, it is. It is now my duty to completely drain you. Yeah. Yeah. So you've gone in. Oh, this is going to be fantastic. Oh, by the way, I'm going to be. Hard fucking work. Yeah. You know? I'm almost a parasite. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. And what's the lines like? Um, I don't care what you think unless it's about me. Yeah. And I'll chew your meat for you, pass it back and forth. Yeah. It is, it's absolutely... I need you to control everything for me because... Yeah. Uh, but, but, but we'll describe that as a passionate kiss. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so good, isn't it, this song? Yeah. So, so good. But, and Probably lyrically my favourite song on this record, I think. Really? I think but so. This is one of Cobain's favourites, he said. He yeah. said it was one of his absolute favourites. He thinks it was one of the best things he wrote. And they played it live in all of their all sets, basically. All the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, was, it was the fucking B-side of uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Like oh, a song it? this good. Yeah, it's crazy. It was a B-side. 
But I love as well because when you come in and it's got that very clean guitar and one babe, it is very clean mm-hmm. for the, the first verse. As it gets towards the chorus, it goes into the minor keys. Uh, you know, mama, self and yours, yeah. I like you. And it's, yeah. it gets dirtier. Yeah. It's, and it's like, again, oh, it's... it's, it's that kind of, you know, like in Stephen King books, he's always hinting at a dirty underneath to something. Yeah. It's kind of that, isn't it? Exactly. Getting into the the real fucking stuff. Yeah. You know, after the surface sheen, yeah. you get into the, the dirty bits underneath. But then it goes, back into the verse. Everything's fine. Yeah, exactly. Nice. So good. Um, in the breakdown of it as well, there's a bit where it's just like, uh, grow on drums, boom, 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 boom and there's stuff going on uh, one of the bits that you can hear is Kurt squeezing his rubber duck there's yeah I, I I heard about that yeah, yeah. It's a, it, apparently it features on the album cover of Incesticide exactly yeah if you see that there's a rubber duck on that apparently that's for some reason that's what, what he decided to bring yeah, into the studio and, that day and uh, yeah uh, the the engineer was it Matt Wallace Andy Wallace basically put it through a load of uh, effects that's it yeah, yeah, yeah. indeed yeah, yeah. so on rubber duck Kurt Cobain cool alright now I love that one love Drain You yeah, amazing. Number nine, then Lounge Act. Who was it said that that was their favourite on the Twitter? Uh, Jonathan Cooper. He said uh, that was the one that stuck with him. Yep, oh, indeed. Well, here we are. Right, so they called this Lounge Act because they thought that this kind of bit sounded a bit loungy. It does. It, when you when when you are told that, you go, okay, I see what you mean. And I, I, I see, I go, but I tell you what it sounds like to me. Yeah. It sounds like the chain by Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. And this chugs along nicely. Yeah. This, that vocal phrase now. Makes me feel so nice. Yeah. And what I do notice about this one is that his voice gets a bit more urgent as it goes on. Yeah. You know, the first verse, this chorus, back into this. But to me, the guitars have come up a bit. Mm-hmm. And he's sounding a little bit more tense. And then... That third verse where he's just screaming. Yeah, it, it, this is this is a real like keeping going up and up and up song for me. But that is killer, that too. So good, man. It's like kind of lyrically, it's all, it's, it's quite interesting. This is next to drain you because uh-huh. it's kind of similar, isn't it? In a but it's, it's similar subject matter, but well, very different perspective on it. Yeah, but it, again, it's apparently about this uh, Toby Vale from yeah. Skinny Kill that he'd broken up with. So yeah, exactly. Two songs in a row about that particular relationship and breakdown. Yeah, so because he's like, it's here in, in this song. He's almost he's saying that these are the things. Yeah, it's like about the internal conflict, isn't it, of trying to maintain your own identity within a relationship, uh-huh. and like saying that basically, look, it's I can't let you smother me. I want to, but it wouldn't work. You know that whole thing of like, look, my my instinct is just to let you be everything and just give that stuff up. Do you know what I mean? Okay, yeah. It's almost what you're saying. It's like, but now I've I've got to do this stuff. I've got to do this stuff. And trying to explain himself, but almost fighting too hard against it. I don't know. I think this this one is probably written from the perspective of afterwards, whereas Mm. the uh, uh, Drain You was written from the perspective of being in it. I think this is a kind of an autopsy afterwards of... All right. See, well. I, I, mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I necessarily get that because no? he's saying, you know, you know, it's almost like, look, this is what we need to do. It's almost like, you know, let's try and sort this out. Well, I mean, there's a line like, uh, "I can't let you smother me. I'd like to, but it couldn't work." Yeah. For me, that sounds like he's going, 
this is what I wanted at the time, but that's also why it ended. I see, to me, that's me him saying, look, this is where I've got to draw the boundary. This is what, look, this is, you've got to understand this is the way that this has got to be. Oh, I, can't, right. I can't negotiate that. But that's, he did want to be smothered. Yeah, but he's, but he's saying it's like, like, I can't let you. Just, he's going, like, I can't let you do that. And that's what I'm trying to say. It's, like, I, it's not that I don't want to, I do, but I can't let you. But that is, that's the exact opposite then of Drain You, isn't it? Because in Drain You, he's going, smother me. Take yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's what, why I'm saying, like a different, a different perspective. What you know, like, there's almost like a kind of a, a fatalism in Drain You, where it's like you know, this is the way that everything's going to inevitably end up. There's no point. Fuck it. This is the way it's going to be. All right. Whereas in Lounge Act, it's almost like a kind of a manifesto. Like you know, this is these are the things that I need this to be if this is going to work. Oh, I see. Okay, that's what I mean. I you know, All I might right. be totally wrong. It's just what I took from. I it. say no. Well, that's different to what I got from it. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, could, uh, again, that's fucking music. That's lyrics for you. Yeah, no, uh, it could be. I'd look at it from that point of view. Who knows, mate? Who knows? But I do like to say the third verse where he just kicks it up another level and is screaming the entire last verse. Mm. That sort of intensity, I fucking love it. Even though it's still the same tune and it's still really catchy, it's such a gear shift yeah. that it gets me every time. That's goosebumps when that kicks in. Sure. Love it so much. And, you know, that fair enough that uh, Jonathan Cooper said that's the one that stays with him. Mm-hmm. This isn't a well-known one. This isn't, you know, one of the big ones that people talk about when they talk about no. Nirvana. But it is fucking brilliant. It's I, enormous, it, mate. it would not have been one of the ones... That, if you'd said to me, name your five favourite songs, you know, off Nevermind, without me looking at a, an album cover, I wouldn't have said Lounge Act. No. But whenever I was listening to, back to this for this, I remembered how damn good it is. Well, see, the thing is, I like, going back into this album... Because I, I haven't listened to this album as an album for many years. Sure. And, you know, we just talked about those Guns N' Roses records. And obviously, I, you know, common sense told me that, you know, I, I had rose-tinted glasses, Axel rose-tinted glasses hey, for those. Nice. And, I, I mean, I, and I, you know, I was well aware that those were, there was, you know, going to be a lot of problems with those for me. But I must admit, coming into this album, I kind of presumed I was going to find the same thing. Yeah. I was going to be like, okay... Oh yeah, this track I've forgotten about. This track, oh yeah, this is a bit of a nothing track, or sure. or whatever. At this point, I'm nine tracks in, and I am nine for nine. Seriously, I am. Yeah, nine for nine. I mean, like you know, I mean, I don't even have the criticism of "Come as You Are." The reservations on sure. that, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm just like, this is. I'm track nine of this, and every one of these songs is amazing, and I'm almost reminded of how much some of these songs meant to me. That must have got to be nice. Oh, yeah, That's absolutely. That's got to be a lovely little Just really refresher. puts me back in the mind of just being young and, you know, an awful lot of, you know, naivety. Sure. And just trying to figure out the world in context to, and my place in it. And, yeah, I forgot how much this record figured in that kind of thought process. Big, a big deal. Massively, you know. That's so cool, though. Right. Anyway, so track 10, Stay Away. Stay Away. You're immediately in with that, aren't you? It's, you know, you're like, okay, this is going to be another assault. Isn't uh-huh. It? And again, as much as I love that drum, I think it's fucking perfect. That's not a difficult pattern, really. No, no. I could, you know, I could have done that. That vocal effect on there. Yeah. I remember that, like being like, like, almost being frightened of that. Oh yeah, like, oh, what is that? It's kind of so 
abrasive, you know? And what it is, it's, it's otherworldly. It's so different to the first part of the line. Yeah. Again, you know, this is... I feel like almost kind of uh, blowing the whistle on this too much. But again, this, the abrasiveness on this song yeah. masking how poppy it absolutely uh-huh. is. You know, that kind of, I stay away. I mean, you know, when you listen to the kind of that, the, the main riff, it's all, you know, it's pretty much pop punk, isn't it? Okay, you know, yeah. You know, it's the sound that, you know, kind of, the, the kind of riffs that kind of Blint 182 and Newfound uh, Glory would make their entire stock in trade The offspring on. probably went, ooh, we could, we could make a career out of this. Yeah, we could, we could make a song that sounds exactly <laughs> yeah. like Smells Like Teen <laughs> yeah. Spirit and uh, call it uh, Self Esteem. Come out and play. No, Self Esteem was the uh, one that smells like Teen Spirit. Was it? Na, 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 na. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, okay. there you go. Yeah, sure. I, mean, I think this is a, a quite nonsensical when you look at the lyrics. It's, it's you know, it's monkey see, monkey do, yeah. stay away. It, it, there's not to me any particular message to this. It's just a load of words thrown together that sound good because yeah. apparently that's sometimes again the way sure. it is. Just this sounds like a you know a good thing to say for this feel, this emotion of the song. I don't think it's really about anything. Well, it's kind of just fuck off, isn't it? It's like, you know, stay yeah. away. It's like, I mean, uh, yeah. overwhelmed, just leave me alone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was originally called Pay to Play, apparently, okay. whenever they first started uh, demoing it and stuff like that. But it was changed around a little bit for the, this recording, mm. for this album. And the very last line is God is gay. God is gay. Yeah. Designed Which, to annoy people. Exactly. I, I enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> it's just, all right, so I'm going to annoy the religious and the homophobes. Yeah. Wicked. Exactly. Well done. Again, what, how long is this one? This is, that's three and a half minutes. Yeah. But it feels like this is another in, bang, out one to me. Sure. This is, you know, just short and sweet. There's a good cover of this one, actually. A guy called Charles Bradley does this in a sort of funk style. Oh, okay. And I was listening to it and it didn't sound anything like stay away at all but it's it's worth checking out awesome I recommend that yeah definitely have a look at that one Uh, number 11 though on a plane on a plane so we come out of the feedback from stay away Uh into this kind of more feedback kind of guitar noise massive chord crash in there huge upbeat verse instantly into a chorus yeah this is one of my all-time favourite Nirvana songs. That's amazing. This is, I, I have, uh, you know, just kind of an ongoing playlist of stuff to play in the background. You know, yeah. I'll add songs into sure. it and that. I try not to have more than one song for a band. Yeah. This is the Nirvana song I've got on there. Fair enough, man. Just incredible. I mean, I, yeah, I, mean, I, I think this is one of the most beautiful Nirvana songs. Because, you know, you've got the layers of blacking vocals on it and the uh-huh. harmonies that he throws in. Sure. But it reminds me of, like, one of the kind of, you know, big major chord upbeat songs. Like, musically, it's one of the happiest songs, mm-hmm. most beautiful songs on there. But in the lyrics, it, there's such a sense of detachment and just fucking hopelessness in mm-hmm. there, isn't there? Yeah. It's so, again, how many word times am I going to use the words juxtaposition in this podcast? <laughs> yeah. But there isn't a better, there isn't a better word. It is so diametrically opposed. Oh, nice. But, uh, yeah, like, it, it's great, isn't it? The way that these two things come together. And, you yeah. know, you kind of, you know, you're almost kind of just thrown off the scent of how kind of dark, and some of the darkest lyrics on sure. this fucking track. Yeah. But it's, it's like you say, it's coming from what could almost be a Beatles tune. Mm-hmm. It's so classically guitar pop. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I know that apparently Kurt Cobain did say, and I'm not sure if he was just being a bit reactionary to this or not. He said that when listening back to it after release, 
he wished it had been a little bit raw and less okay. cleanly produced. He said when they played it live, it wasn't that clean, and he would have liked more of that sound on the record. Okay. But I do wonder if that was him going, I've given up my punk rock roots. Sure. You know, I don't want to be seen as selling out. I, well, I want this to be more dissonant. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is the interesting thing. Right? Had he survived, would he have come to embrace those kind of instincts within himself I wonder I wonder, yeah. I wonder. would we have had a Disney album from Kirk <laughs> yeah, <I> imagine <laughs> brilliant yeah can you imagine that would be amazing or would he have gone down the, the the John Lennon route of being increasingly obtuse well, maybe. Yeah. Could have been that. Yeah. You know, or could he have kicked drugs and found God? I mean... Hey, who knows? You know. Today I find my friends are in my head. Yeah, there you go. Uh, this is a wonderful song, though. Oh, I'd love this song, mate. The middle eight on this as well, because the chorus, the verse, fucking brilliant, but the somewhere I have heard this before, that, that yeah. little bridge... That's impeccable. Oh, that's amazing. Absolutely fantastic. And then it just that the kind of little bass like boom, 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 straight yeah. back into it. This gets stuck in my head for a long time. As soon as I've heard this, this is in my head for a while. Yeah, I, I mean, I got to, I got to this song, uh, you know, when I was listening to this yesterday, and yeah. I was like, oh, how do I forget how good this song is? It's amazing. How do I forget it's how good this song is? Track eleven. They put mm-hmm. this at. Yeah. The song this good. Not a single. Not a single. Track 11. Bear in mind that last week we talked about the um, Brian Adams album that came out on the same day that he released, what, eight, seven singles? Six singles, I think. And, yeah. there, and there wasn't, I mean, there was one single what? on that record. <laughs> two, yeah. two singles on that record. Yeah. Anyway. I know. This is true. Half of this could have been. If you'd asked me how many singles were released off this, I, without looking, I would have guessed, oh, I don't know, five or six? Mm-hmm. Four, yeah. It's it's criminal. Well, I mean, I would imagine they were. I would imagine they were under pressure to put out more, but they resisted. I imagine so. I suspect they probably didn't want to put the fourth one out. No, nah. no, because what? by that point they were already into recording the next album. I think Incesticide was probably out by that yeah. point. So yeah, they were like, no, that's done. Yeah, but I mean, you know, at the same time, when you're selling that many records, you do get a level of power that. Uh... Yeah, you can say, okay, well, if you do that, I'm not going to do the other stuff you want me to do. Exactly. Yeah, I was reading that uh, whenever Smells Like Teen Spirit was taking off the huge way it was, it was released in November of 91, and it kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it got to like the number one or number five spot in the UK mm-hmm. in January. So it took a couple of months, but it was being hammered on MTV, and it was being played on all the radio stations, sure. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And at that point, that's when Nevermind as an album was doing the best that it yeah. was going to. And at that point, it was selling 300,000 copies a week. Fucking hell. Yeah. And this is why there are quotes from people at the label going, we had no idea what to do. You know, yeah. we had these marketing plans in place, but all we could do was stand back and yeah. let it happen. Yeah. We couldn't predict anything. We couldn't manage it. And we couldn't go, all right, well, A has happened. Let's move to B. Because they had no fucking map for this. Nah. Like yeah. a wildfire, mate. It was exactly like a wildfire. Cool. All right, well, we're getting towards the end here. Number 12. Something in the way. And this is kind of the official last song. This is the end of side two on my vinyl. Yeah. This is the last song on all the, the notes, the credits, etc. Mm-hmm. And this is a perfect way to end an album for me. So this is the second most famous song about being under a bridge from 1991. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I mean, it's so, so, I mean, sombre is almost not doing it justice. Uh-huh. 
It's like just downbeat, downbeat, downbeat. Heartbreakingly beautiful. Yeah. You know, about homelessness. Yep. But Jesus Christ, this chorus, man. Yeah. I don't know whether it's the cello or what it is. But this, this song just hits emotional buttons in me that I don't really understand. This is brutally hard, this yeah. song. Yeah, I, this... Even if I didn't know what he was singing about and, you know, I had no... Even if I didn't know who Nirvana were, I think if I heard this song, I'd be like, fuck, that sounds so sad. It's like kind of Ken Loach the musical, Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Guys, it's just beautiful. But this, this song, like, uh, more than more than any of the other Nirvana songs across any of their records this uh-huh. is the one that if I hear it like my mind will inevitably just go how fucked up is it that he's dead okay right yeah how fucked yeah. up is it that he didn't and, it, and then you know from that point of view it's like you know you know I'm not in the kind of the mindset of going poor little rich guy couldn't handle it whatever sure. you know that fucking that sh- trope that I hear fucking bandied around yeah I just go this is you know someone with mental health problems that no one helped and people enabled and mm-hmm. you know this for me is for it kind of makes me think of all of those people out there that suffer through depression you know sure. it makes me feel people that just can't live in misery can't make it through you know and it's just unnecessary it's, it's all about the way that the world is prioritized and mm-hmm. it all essentially comes back to fucking money and greed right um, sure but you know, Kai, this song gets me fucking close to tears. Right, okay. every time, man. Every time, yeah. Man. Just kind of, you know, it, it's one of those songs that you just, you just kind of drift away, in and it's like a, it's almost like a soundtrack to, you know, to Actually, soundtrack. Is, it does. It sounds like a scene in a film. Yeah, yeah. You can you can picture this. I'm almost amazed that I've never seen this hmm. as a scene in a film. No, it's true. Backing that up, yeah. But I think that the the cello, like you say, adds an absolute extra layer. Yeah. That hadn't been in any of the other ones. Uh, we would see, obviously, in some other songs that they do, and especially on the Unplugged stuff, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And it works brilliantly. But it's the only one on this album that sounds like this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, if you look into the lyrics, it's supposed to be about the time that he spent living under a bridge because he was homeless and yeah. he, he was having issues with his family, so he moved out. There are some stories saying, okay, that probably didn't happen, mm-hmm. but... That's the story he's telling. And so yeah. for, for the purpose of this, that's what he's talking about. And there's something in the way it can be about him. Like he was the something in the way for his family being able to, you know, deal with everything else. He was the obstacle. He yeah. was the, the issue. Mm-hmm. Or it can be this, this. there was always something in the way for him, meaning that he couldn't be happy. Couldn't get out of his own way. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. He was his own worst enemy at that point yeah, or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. And there, there's a line in there, uh, the line about it's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings. Yeah. Uh, I saw someone had written that apparently he would occasionally refer to himself as kind of fish. Um, yeah. In his suicide note, he called himself, in quotes, the sad little sensitive, sensitive unappreciative Pisces Jesus man. Right. So he was referring to the fish. He would call himself fish because he was Pisces. And so if you say, you know, it's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings, he's saying, like, he's numb anyway. Yeah. He is not a real thing. He's he's, he's worthless. Mm-hmm. So, fucking kill Fade him. Fade away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fucking hell. Yeah. It is, it's, there's so much to, to you could dig into this mm-hmm. over such an achingly gorgeous piece of music. Yeah. I think this is 
sublime way to end an album. Yeah, I mean, isn't it strange when you think about it in these terms? Think about that juxtaposed to the kind of the merry money making that this album became mm-hmm. for yeah. you know a whole industry of people. You know, so many people got rich off of this guy's fucking misery. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you know, I mean, I did. I got, you know, I mean, I got emotionally rich off of it. You know? Right, sure. You know, and that's and that's the thing. You know, it's like we, you know, we all, we all fed. Yeah, we all I, fed. I, I admit, I, I, whenever I was uh, sixteen, seventeen, and listening to this, and listening to the other albums as well, I was not thinking about his frame of mind and his pain mm. and that sort of stuff. All I was thinking about was this is a fucking brilliant tune. Yeah. Oh, wicked! Nirvana got a new record. I wasn't uh, looking behind the scenes at all. That wasn't until years after, until after he died yeah. and all that shit came out. Uh, different for you. You're getting more from it at the time. Yeah, but I mean, I, I was I was complete surface on this. For but a while. I mean, I think I always thought, you know, you know, this guy's, you know, he's, he's got to fuck you to the world as well, mm-hmm. and that'll get him through. That'll oh, get sure, him through. okay. Yeah. And he, you know, you kind of, it, it's not until you really dig in, and you're like, fucking, hell, this is all just on the page. It was all was there. Signpost. It was all there. Yeah. Right. Okay. But, so look, that's the end of the album. Uh, yeah. Know, per se, that's the end of the album proper. Yeah, but obviously there was. There was the hidden track, so it's, I mean, what was it about? I can't remember how many minutes of was silence. It, I think it was like it was. ten minutes after. Yeah, yeah. And this is the the hidden track at the end of uh, of something in a way. It's called "Endless Nameless." Yes. So I guess you know, track thirteen, if you want to call it that. Yeah. I mean, it was a B side as well, wasn't it? B side of "Come as You Are." Or? It is the B side. I've got the seven inch here. Oh, nice. Of "Come as You Are," absolutely. And that was the first time I'd heard yeah. it. I'd read about it. Um, you know, people were talking oh, about the hidden the track, but because I had the vinyl. Exactly, I'd never actually... Is it like not on there as a secret groove or anything no. like that? No. Oh, okay. I have a feeling it was probably on the tape and the CD. Right. I mean, it was definitely on the CD. It was probably on the tape because you can do that on a tape. But yeah, to leave a 10-minute... Well, I mean, thing. the thing they often do on vinyl is they'll like put like a... A know, secret a, groove. Yeah. So, Pretty like sure that, there's not. Oh. Pretty sure. Um, be interesting if there was and you found no, it for no, the no, first time. Well, it turns out that the first 200,000 copies of the CD that were pressed up didn't have Endless Nameless on it. Oh, okay. Because uh, the guy who was mastering it, either it wasn't on the notes or he just forgot. Oh, okay. And so the ma- the first massive shipment went out without it on it and those go for money. I fucking bet they do. Yeah. Uh, right, but yes, so Endless Nameless. Yeah. I mean, this is almost like a trailer for the fact that they were going to get the next album produced by Steve Albini. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is six and a half minutes long, this one. Yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, it's six and a half minutes of dissonant noise call, oh, basically. Exactly. It's deliberately and intentionally, you know, unlistenable. Yeah, I mean, it's an absolute antidote to the pop that comes before it. Yeah, exactly, right? yeah. And I tell you what, like, I remember hearing this, you know, uh, I remember hearing this uh, at the time and, you know, seeing it as a novelty. Okay. I, I was a novelty, so blah, blah, blah. But then it would kind of end up being like a huge amount of pretty much what I listened to through the fucking 2000s. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I swear to God, I spent most of like you know, 2000 to 2010 listening to just dissonant noise. Right, sure. And, you know what I mean? Like, and. You know, that's pretty much what I listened to in I those see. years. You just know? yeah, seven minute long songs yeah, just, of unlistenable dirt. Yeah, it's fucking neurosis and oxbow. And, right. You know what I mean, like, <laughs> or, you know, just you know, uh, converge. Okay, just, sure. You know, that stuff yeah. was you know. Suddenly <laughs> that was this, what I'm you like, wanted. Oh, fucking hell, maybe that was the seed being planted. Maybe. But you know, I mean, I love I love this uh, for what it is. Oh, exactly. I mean, I think what it is is a middle finger. You yeah. know, it's Kurt Cobain going, all right. 
fuck you, this is this is what I want to do. Yeah. This is me being a contrary fucker yeah. and putting on what is essentially something that none of our fans will like Yeah. at the end of it. You know, in the end, they did come around to liking it because... The thing that he suffered from was very much Life of Brian syndrome, wasn't it? Uh, right, yeah. Where, whereby, you know, anything he said, but it, it became held in such fucking unblinking high regard that anything he said was, you know, kind of held it's up. genius. Yeah, exactly, yeah. you know. I've wrote uh, this unlistenable song. It's amazing. And I'll be honest with you, when I came into writing about this and talking about this, I really wanted to, to make that point. I really wanted to point out all the flaws in this stuff, mm-hmm. but I, they just weren't coming to me. They were not coming to me as I went through this record. And, you know, I appreciate that as a piece of solid music criticism, you know, there's a good chance here that we've just fanboyed out and not really done our job. Very possible. Um, I, but, I suspect I'm I'm too close to this in a lot of ways, and, and maybe that's the case. But you know, at the same time, we've done I've done exactly the same thing to this as we've done to a lot lo- of other albums, which has gone back to them after a period of time. And yeah, absolutely, this album meant an awful lot to me at a time where music meant more to me than it would at any other time. Oh, I was impressionable as fuck. Absolutely yeah. right, and you know, this moulded a lot of the fucking way I think. But going back to it now, and I guess you can't hear it with fresh ears, but. It still sounds fucking magnificent to me. Yeah. In a way that when I go back to other things, they don't. No, I would agree there. You know, whenever I was talking about the stuff I was into before Nirvana, mm-hmm. whenever I go back to a Pop Lead Itself record or a Charlatan's Arm, whatever, I'll go, oh, this is this is very of its time. And I enjoy it to the extent that I can yeah. enjoy it because I loved this in 1991. Yeah. But going back to this, I was just like, this is all stunning. Look, this is not a record when people ask me about my favourite records I ever mention, mm. it's a record that I've kind of almost forgotten about yeah. in, in a lot of ways. I forgot I forgot about how much I like this. So yeah. actually, I went into this expecting to see a lot more cracks and flaws in it and yeah. for that to be, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't intentionally come into this to, to gush all over it, right? No, but also, even if you were looking for, if you wanted to be a dick and go, well, yeah, <laughs> Nirvana, I'm cooler than Nirvana. Yeah. It is tough, I think, whenever you, you did like it. Fair enough, if you were never into it, mm-hmm. you can be that, that guy and go, yeah, well, you know, I think the Beatles are overrated. You can be that guy. Yeah. But if you were at all into Nirvana, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's hard to go, oh, well, it's not, as, not what I thought it was. But the, but the thing is, right, what I, what, I, what I think is really interesting now is now that you're kind of, you know, 20, 20 some years removed from the, from the kind of the mass... The, the kind of the, the mass cultural explosion that it was. Yeah. And now that what I find interesting is you see kids, you know, in their teens, you know, wearing Nirvana shirts. Absolutely. That are obviously evaluating. I mean, obviously they're evaluating it with a legacy that this is supposed to be good. But yes. in the same way that, you know, the same way that I found, you know, like Led Zeppelin records and Black Sabbath records yeah, of and things like that, completely outside of the zeitgeist of what it is at the time and just kind of going, oh, this is, oh, this is great on its own terms. Yeah. And, you know, you know, no one's doing that with uh, other things that blow up. You know, no one's doing that with, uh, you know, kind of a Bay City Rollers records. Well, well, no, especially since the manager was found out to be a nonce. Oh, was he really? Yeah. Fuck's <laughs> But you know, this is an album that's held the test of time. It's, it's found it's found its audience again and again and again. Indeed, and if, it's one of those things that uh, you, you you see it pointed out every so often. You go, well, in nineteen ninety one, right? Twenty five years before nineteen ninety one was uh, nineteen sixty six. Yeah. So that's when you people in ninety one were wearing Doors stuff, sure, and going and talking about the Beatles and mm. the Stones. Yeah. Now 
that's what Nirvana is to a, an 18 year old today. Absolutely. They are that classic band mm-hmm. that, that is just, you know, up there in the pantheon of bands. It's not like they're new and exciting. They are established. Yeah. But I think if, I've, I've got friends who work in my pub who are 2021 fucking love Nirvana. Yeah. Absolutely just go, yeah, brilliant band. Yeah. Wish I could have seen them, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and they are they are enduring. And in the same way that if you do, if we ever were doing our rundown of number one records from this year, yeah, mm-hmm. whatever it's going to be, there won't be another album, I don't think, that is as enduring as Nevermind. Now, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I said this to you last week. Mm-hmm. Right? I, 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 you know, I said, when we do our top tens, I wonder if this record will be on it. Right? Oh, yeah. And I won't, I won't say what you said, but I, I, I said to you, I don't think this will be on my top ten sure. list. I don't think it will. I think there's more stuff that's come out. And that I'm going to have to really rethink that, I think. Really? This, this re-listen? Yeah. As a walk in it again? Mm-hmm. Cool, uh, man. Yeah, anyway, guys... Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Please get in contact again with any uh, feedback about Nirvana. Uh, tell again, us your Nirvana if you, stories. If you're one of the people that listens because you love pop music, uh, I'm so sorry this has been such a rock jag. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry, really. Yeah, sure. Uh, but we've got a Eurasia record coming up very soon. Well, we've got Simply Red next week. Simply Red next week. I'm I'm sick next week, Are Chris. You yeah, I can't come. I just hope we can do this from your sick bed. It's all right. Oh, no, that's okay. Uh, just get someone else in. <laughs> So we'll be back with Simply Red next week. Um, Thank you for joining us. As always, guys, please uh, stay in contact via all the socials as per usual. Uh, I've been Dave Fensom. I've been Chris Greer. I've been Ruffles the Dog. See you later. Bye. Thank you for checking out this episode of Pop Collaborate and Listen. It was produced and edited by us, for which we can only apologise. We're on Twitter at PCL Podcast. On Instagram, also at PCL Podcast and facebook.com slash pclpodcast. All of these, plus links to our various Spotify playlists, etc., are on our website, which is pclpodcast.com. Please feel free to get in contact via any of the social media or on pclmusicpodcast at gmail.com.